This is Media Sales Mastery, the podcast for media sales professionals. In each episode, we bring you information, insights, and ideas from some of the industry's top thought leaders. Connect with us to help pick the topic and guide the show. This is Media Sales Mastery, the podcast for media sales professionals. I am your host, Jamie Wood. Our topic today, selling niche audiences. Now, whether you are selling trade media, business media, alternative media, some new emerging platform, even if you're in broadcast media, but you've got certain properties or certain environments or certain brands that you represent in your product suite that have a more kind of specialized audience or a more niche audience offering, you will probably know that this type of audience is actually surprisingly challenging to sell. Um, you've got a lot of things that are kind of working against you. You know, you've got the pre-established structures uh, for planning and buying media, you know, primarily based on sort of broadcast reach. You've got a lot of debate around some of the more subjective metrics like or the softer metrics like audience quality, like brand, like environment, like content, engagement, attention, et cetera, et cetera. Or just generally, uh, what I find with a lot of people who sell more specialized, more niche audiences is that they just have a much longer sales cycle because not only do they have to, you know, identify and target and prospect the right kind of advertiser, but then there's a very robust client education process that has to happen too. Um, you know, selling a highly engaged and highly targeted audience can require a lot more heavy lifting on behalf of the media sales professional versus maybe selling a more of an, uh, you know, a mass meet type of broadcast medium. Fortunately, if you can get it right, it can be very lucrative and very effective for the advertiser as well. Our guest today is Kylie Merritt. Kylie is the founder, managing director of Ozbiz. I'm going to get her to talk more about who they are, what they do, uh, but you'll see very quickly why she would be the perfect person to talk to on this topic. Excited to get into this one now. The first five. Kylie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate you making time. I know we've tried to coordinate this a bit and I've been a bit all over the place. Um, but given the topic of selling niche audiences, I remember hearing you on the MI3 podcast and hearing a bit about Ausbiz, and I really wanted to uh, get you for this episode. So I'm glad you could make it. Tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, tell us a bit about your background in media and would love to kind of get a better understanding of you know, how Ausbiz was founded and what the sort of genesis of the business was. Sure. Um, well, I mean, if you go right back to the very beginning, I um, I went to university to study advertising and um, fell into journalism. And <laughs> it's funny how these things work out because now I'm selling advertising. But um, way back at the beginning, I started as a, a television news reporter in country New South Wales. Uh, I did that for a while. And then about 20 years ago, I moved to Sydney to work for um, David Kosh, Koshy. Uh, this was before sort of the, the Sunrise juggernaut. Um, so I worked for him in his family business and we produced business and finance content for all kinds of clients, um, you know, Seven, Fairfax at the time, News Corp, 2GB, Yahoo, Sky, um, and I really, at that point, sort of started to fall in love with with business journalism. And then that was what I did for the next kind of 12, 13 years, um, you know, running newsrooms, reporting, presenting. Um, I just, I, I really loved business. I sort of felt like I'd, I'd found my niche. Uh, and then about 10 years ago, um, I guess, you know, part of it was learning about business and kind of being ensconced in that world of, of finance and markets. 
Um, and then I, I started moving more into the commercial side of the business. So I, I did a bunch of different roles um, at, at News Corp, um, predominantly at Sky, but some other sort of parts with the, the parent company and sort of slowly moved more and more into the commercial side of the business, um, which was a great experience because, you know, it, it gave me a chance to work across all kind of roles, you know, obviously beginning in editorial, but then moving more into the product side, into digital um, and then into the sort of the, the sales space. Uh, and then uh, Koshi and I, you know, we we stayed sort of friends throughout that whole period. And four years ago, we decided that because there was a space for a, um, a live business and, and markets channel, um, that we would start Ausbiz um, and we would do it as a, a streaming platform as opposed to sort of a more traditional try and get back into that TV space. So we launched in uh, March 2020. We went live. We streamed seven hours a day, um, and which equates to about 40 interviews each day, which are then uh, made available on demand either as individual interviews or um, as programs. And that's essentially Ausbiz. We do uh, another couple of podcasts every day and 11 newsletters a week. But the, the core of the business is is video. Perfect. And that's that's what led me to reach out to you because today the topic's all about selling niche audiences. And mm-hmm. I sort of said in the intro, that's anything from what you might call trade media, what you might call more sort of specialised media, business media, um, even just new emerging platforms or particular environments that broadcasters have. Tell us a bit about the audience profile of Ausbiz. And I'm particularly keen to understand when you were initially starting out with Ausbiz, like how difficult was it to commercialise this audience in the early days? <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's been a journey. Um, look, I guess the the audience for business news and information as a as a general genre um, isn't, you know, especially niche. It's a fairly large group of people who are interested in that, and so. We didn't set out at the beginning to be overly targeted. Our kind of view was that, you know, anyone who was interested in investing or business, you know, we would have something for them. Um, so we didn't have a particular kind of demographic in mind. Uh, but over t- and, and it's funny because our demos have shifted quite a lot since we launched and that probably, you know, does have something to do with the pandemic as well. And, you know, we launched uh, 10 days into the first lockdown. So when we launched, our audience was um, a lot younger. I don't know if you remember back then there was a huge surge in people um, starting to invest for the first time. That was the kind of the, you know, the GameStop um, the Robin Hood um, yes. type era. So that's all gone away now. And over time, um, you know, we've, we took the decision that we weren't going to be a platform where people would come to learn about investing. Um, we were very much sort of producing content for people who already understood how markets worked and we were kind of helping them, you know, get that information to make decisions um, about investing. So over time, our audience is kind of self-selected and we've decided to really kind of double down on the demo that we've that we've got. So that is, um, you know, in terms of traditional demographics, it's it's predominantly sort of over fifty. Um, it does skew heavily male, um, but they're not so much the demos that are of interest to us. So the the ones that we really look at are, you know, are they investing within a self managed super fund? Um, so around half of our audience falls into that category. Um, almost all of our audience um, are partly or entirely self-directed. So, you know, they're coming to us for this information to help them make decisions to invest, you know, on their own. Um, And around half also meet the sophisticated investor test. So that is, 
um, essentially means that you have to get a letter from your accountant to say that you either um, earn more than 250 grand a year and have done for the past few years or you have $2 million um, in, you know, outside the, the family home that you can invest. So it's, um, it's, a, it's a way of testing whether um, people, I guess, have the means but also, um, I guess, the, the nous to be making um, decisions around what they invest in because we're not talking about, you know, putting $500. It's, we're not sort of talking about those kind of investments. We're talking to people who might be interested in, you know, investing $100,000, dollars $300,000 um, at, a, at a time. So straight away, it's really interesting hearing that it's not just about a demographic play, although there is a demographic or an audience, there's, a, I guess, a, a level of um, commonality that you might start to unearth in the audience too. Mm. Um, it's, it's probably a good setup for the main topic. Media Sales Mastery. Because I want to talk about audience currency, right? Like I hear what you're talking about there and I go, if I'm an advertiser, like that is absolutely like gold in terms of people that have high net wealth, people that are very attuned to financial markets, um, people that are maybe at a later life stage, but are probably still generating an income, probably own assets, but are looking to invest and acquire more. Mm. So you've kind of got this passionate audience. Obviously, it's very engaged in the content you're doing. There's natural segmentation sort of built in. Mm. How do you create a value or a currency of this audience when you take it to market outside of here's the number that we reach. Like, how do you sort of paint that picture of, of who that ideal, um, you know, who that ideal, I guess I would say customer, who that ideal customer is mm. um, that you can bring to market? Yeah, it's a really good point. And I think it comes back to, we are, we don't, we don't talk about it all the time. And we, you know, we don't go out and say, this is what we are. But when you, you look at what we do, and you, you know, if you're in our newsroom, we are like truly audience first. Um, it's not something we say because, you know, it's a platitude. We actually really are. Um, and I go back to that point I made a minute ago. The, the reason that we um, we put the need to produce content and be very, very upfront with our audience and build trust with them because of um, why they're coming to us. So what I mean by that is, you know, we're not trying to, you know, we're not playing ads, you know, Coke versus Pepsi, and if they buy one can and they don't like it, you know, they've they've wasted two, two three dollars. Um, this is people are coming to us um, to get information about, you know, making very large investments. Um, often this is, you know, their retirement savings, etc. So um, it's really important that we're very upfront with everybody who is is watching Ausbiz um, and that we have integrity. Um, and so we, in our last survey, uh, 94% of um, our audience who took the survey said that they trust us to provide, you know, credible, informative and transparent information. And so we won't do anything that damages that trust. Um, and we're really, really clear with our commercial partners about that. And what that then does is they, you know, the most part, they see that that does provide value to them, particularly in the longer term. Um so when you've got that really engaged audience and you've built that trust, you can start bringing in the right commercial partners um, to talk to them um, at a point um, where, you know, they're already qualified, they're, they're pretty far down towards the bottom of the funnel. And that's often where we kind of, you know, take the, the sales part, if you like, out of our TV environment and we put it into our newsletters and virtual events. And that's where our, you know, commercial partners can sort of, 
um, interact on a more one-to-one basis with our audience. Okay. Um, and so that is the, it, it's kind of, I, I guess, the, the, the currency, if you like, is, is A, that trust and then being able to, you know, connect the right people in the audience at a, at, you know, oftentimes at a one-to-one level with, with the people who are, um, you know, advertising something to them. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think, I think obviously your background as a working in the content side of businesses and working as a presenter yourself, I'm not surprised to hear that's maybe the ethos of the business around being audience first. Mm. Um, I'm curious as to how that audience first type of um, ethos translates to unearthing unique insights about the audience that um, you know, might be relevant or applicable to advertisers. Like what's your process look like in terms of, you know, this is what the audience is kind of wanting or this is what the audience is telling us they're enjoying. You know, when we design a campaign for a client, these are some things to kind of bear in mind when designing that campaign to get that that yeah. most effective kind of outcome and engagement. Yeah, um, it's a great question and it's really interesting because when we when we first launched, we sort of built Ausbiz in, you know, 12 weeks, go to woe. Um it was, it was pretty crazy and, it, you know, we launched and we got on air and we are doing all this content and then we're like, wow, we really don't have great analytics and we're really not sure, you know, who all these people who are watching are. We don't really know very much about them. Um, so, you know, ever since then we've, you know, we've, we've now got a proper CRM and we've been doing a lot more work in that space. So, and, and it's important to us, again, audience first, it's not just so that we can um, understand the audience and segment them and, and help our, our commercial partners talk to them. You know, we use that data now very much to drive the, the content that we do. So the sorts of content and the, the weighting of different interviews that we do now compared to three years ago are completely different. You know, when we launched, I think we looked a lot more like, um, you know, I a few of us here were there at the very beginning days of Sky News business. So we looked Mm. very much kind of like that. It was very traditional TV, you know, top of the hour, you know, news headlines, all of that sort of stuff. And then over time, we started really looking at the data. Um, And again, uh, as people started going back to the office after COVID, the viewing habits changed again, and people started watching less live, more on demand. And that really gave us, you know, a very clear indication of what people were interested in and so we we started shaping all of the content to meet that and then at the same time you know we started looking at who these people are who are watching and why um so there's been a lot of trial and error but now there's pretty much kind of four sources i would say um we do a major survey once a year which is uh pretty in depth um which goes into detail of our audience on you know their investing preferences you know down to how much sort of money they have to be to be crude um all kinds of things why they watch what they like watching what they want to see more of all that sort of stuff um we look at a at a at a user level at what they're watching on demand and also just you know obviously across the board and that that helps us um derive insights for our for our commercial partners um newsletter content again it's you know we make editorial decisions about what goes into our newsletters but then we monitor you know what people are clicking on and clicking through from the newsletters to, to, to um, engage with. Um, we do probably one or two virtual events every month. Um, they are generally uh, with or on behalf of a commercial partner, but the process for those virtual events is that people have to uh, register to attend them. And, and usually there are qualifying questions. You know, again, it could be 
uh, do you have an SMSF? Do you meet the wholesale investor test? But, you know, sometimes it's the size of the portfolio. Um, depending on what the event is around, there will be more kind of um, capturing information during that registration process. So all of that, again, goes back to the, the user's profile. And, you know, you can sort of aggregate that data across and see, you know, what that's telling you about who these people are. Um, and again, all of that can now be done. You can sort of see it a, a single user um, view of all of those components, which you can then start to segment um, and talk to advertisers about, you know, we've got these people, we've got these people, you know, what can we do to, to, um, to talk to the right ones, the right groups for you? Yeah, great. And so... I'm curious where sort of product or inventory or platform kind of comes into it. So great audience first ethos with content, great insights, really good kind of understanding of the audience and what's, what's you know, their, their profile is, what their habits are. Um, what's the role of like environment or the Ausbiz brand or, you know, some of those, those things you said like newsletters and events where you do more of an integrated kind of approach, um, you know, how heavily skewed towards that kind of stuff is it or how much of a differentiator is that stuff versus just the the audience proposition? We don't sort of have a a cookie cutter, you know, this is a campaign or, you know, here is our rate card. I buy these 30-second TVCs. It's not generally how we work. But um, for most clients, particularly if they have a, you know, there might be a boutique fund manager or, you know, they're a multifamily office or, they they don't have a a mass reach kind of brand. Um, generally, what we would do with them is some kind of a a brand campaign in that we just you know it's it's program sponsorships and bits and pieces throughout the day. So just to kind of you know get their name in front of the Ausbiz audience so that there's that kind of recognition. And then in terms of the actual sales part, that would generally happen more. Um, at, a, at a newsletter or an events um, sort of strategy. So we try yep. and move them through that funnel. The the events are, I guess, by far the most direct in that, um, you know, if you are a commercial partner of one of our events, um, people have to register to attend that. And, and, you know, we're very clear. The audience understands that they will be uh, marketed to um, afterwards if they attend that event. But I guess the the difference being it's not, you know, for them, it's not like necessarily receiving a cold call and being flogged something they don't want because generally they're coming to those events because they have a specific interest in that product or service. So mm. it's a very, very warm lead, um, which we we provide to the, the commercial clients afterwards. Um, and that, you know, that's worked well for us, but it really has worked um, well for our for our commercial partners. So talking of commercial partners, mm-hmm. this is what I'm curious about too, because what does that process look like of obviously identifying who might be a good brand fit and what does that sort of process look like in terms of targeting those relevant clients um, to, you know, to bring on board? Yeah. Um, in our team of two, I wouldn't say there's a, um, there's a, there's a huge process. I mean, I guess I, I do come at this from a, a slightly weird sort of perspective in that, you know, I've I've been a, a journalist covering these businesses and involved with these businesses and talking to experts in these businesses for 20 years. So you kind of have that network already of, um, you know, people to talk to. So getting introductions and getting a foot in the door is, is never really been a problem. 
Um, I would say that most of our clients have come either from within that network or um, from referrals from other partners where who've done stuff with us that's worked with well or you know often it's they've been a guest on Ausbiz as an expert and you know someone has a, a potential client has called or downloaded something from their website or whatever it might be and said you know they've seen them on Ausbiz and they've got that sort of aha moment when they've realized that yeah um, this is a great channel for them so then they might come back to us and say you know can we advertise with you like what do you these you know you've got to remember like most of the people that we work with are not, um, you know, we're not talking about working with say the Commonwealth bank with a, mm. an agency and a gigantic marketing team. We're talking about working with, you know, boutique fund managers who may only have 10 people in the business. They don't have anyone doing their marketing. Um, they, again, they're, they're getting their clients through referrals, word of mouth, through financial advisors, um, they don't generally sort of advertise. They certainly don't have television commercials. Um, so they've realised that there is, that that Ausbiz is a, you know, one of a couple of channels where these target clients are. And so they've come to us and said, oh, like, can we do something with you? Do, we, do you even advertise? Like they don't know. Um, so we, we work with them or, you know, they're probably subscribers as well. So they might be watching um, the channel and they might see, some form of, you know, commercial content on there or they might receive a Solus EDM on behalf of somebody else and then they'll come back to me and say, oh, can we send one of those? And that kind of just starts the conversation. Yeah. And then the process, you know, of that is, again, you know, it's um, I think this comes back to my journalism background is it's not just kind of getting in there and, you know, trying to sell them something. So, uh, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of asking questions and sort of distilling concepts for them, um, trying to understand which part of our audience might be interested in in what they have. Um, and then it's sort of, it's very collaborative. Like we don't, there is no set, you know, this is the product. Would you like to, to buy it or not? Um, yeah. No, that's a, that's really enlightening because I think, you know, when I initially heard you getting interviewed on MI3, I think that was part of the debate was sort of independent media, you know, not playing with the big national brands, but, but or, you know, the big consortium agency groups um, and whether actually there was a need for a bit of reform there in terms of if a big brand did want to kind of unlock this audience, they, they would have to kind of be really open-minded to adapting the way they plan and buy their media and having it be more of a bespoke, consultative, collaborative approach. I'm curious in your in your past, so maybe not just with Ausbiz, but have you had those scenarios where you you have had like a larger advertiser that's maybe predisposed to buying and planning media a particular way that wanted to work with you, like and and maybe that that process was difficult. Like, has has it been your experience that um, certain clients get to a certain size where they maybe don't understand the world of more sort of business media or more niche audiences? Uh, look, sometimes with agencies, I think there is a bit of a mismatch just because, you know, the agency and the mass reach media world have, have, have built their systems and structures and processes. And that works when you are advertising mass reach products. So, you know, there's a lot of boxes that get ticked and and we don't kind of fit that, you know, you can't really, I mean, if you looked at what we cost on a purely CPM basis, it just, it, it wouldn't stack up. 
Um, but we know, you know, from our commercial partners that we deliver leads, you know, way over and above any other forms of mass reach that they've tried. So, you know, there's, I guess, a bit of an education process there, but then we don't, we're not on the list. We don't get briefed um, by agencies unless, you know, there's a handful of um, niche agencies that work in the financial services space. But generally, you know, the, the big ones, um, we don't tend to to work with just, you know, because we can't, we can't shoehorn ourselves to fit into to the the processes that they have, and I, you know, I understand that it's, you know, where it's chalk and cheese. We're selling, you know, very different things. Um, what I would say is generally, if we are working with some of the bigger brands, and and we do, you know, like IG, um, NabTrade are two of our biggest clients, but generally um, those relationships are directly with the in-house marketing teams yeah. Um, and then, you know, the agencies are kind of brought in afterwards and that's more of a, um, you know, a lot of the time that's just for invoicing and just doing all the... The yeah, hygiene. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, so, but yeah, I, I guess it comes back to the, the sorts of clients that really get value out of what we do they also don't use agencies. Like I said, a lot of them might have, you know, maybe one person doing all of their marketing if they even do have someone doing any of their marketing. Often we become kind of their quasi-marketing people. So, you know, they come and they don't really know. They just know they want more clients. They've got to, you know, they might have six BDMs um, who want leads, but they don't have anyone kind of doing that piece of work between the media and how they get the leads. Um, yeah. You know, in, in the past, it's all been purely targeted at, you know, um, working with financial advisors and um, just word of mouth and network. So we're sort of a bit of an outlier. We come in and sort of help in that space. You, you mentioned something in that last answer around, um, you know, delivering leads and delivering delivering inquiries, you know, at a really high rate. Like what role does a case study play um, in terms of the sales, the sales process, like is proof of concept something that that you guys are constantly trying to kind of take to market when new brands are wanting to come on board? Yeah, look, it's definitely a really good starting point. Um, if we do a case study around, you know, a campaign that we've run or a specific event or whatever it might be, um, we we do do them and we share them, but more often we'd sort of just use it as a bit of a concept as a, a starting point, um, and then say we'd like to sort of design something bespoke for them. I'm also probably to my detriment um, a really big believer in kind of the under promise over deliver. So if something has worked really well for one client, you know, I would never guarantee that it'll do the same for another um, because all of their products are different. And, you know, again, it's like that decision process. It's not just are you going to buy a can of Coke or a can of Pepsi and if you don't like them, it's $4. It's like are you going to invest in this fund or that fund? Um, and the difference between the two could be, you know, over a period of five years, it could be 200 grand in, you know, your personal bottom line. So um, th- there's also, it's funny, like there's only so much we can do, but the the quality of the product on the other end um, in that lead space, you know, that has to stack up as well. Um, so it, 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 we, we are doing a lot more in that lead space it does mean that we take on a lot more of the risk up front, but the upside is higher um, and the clients like that because, you know, they're not paying stupid amounts of money and they're not getting anything out of it. They're only paying if, 
um, you know, if they are getting clients. But again, that's why I go back to that. It, it's just so important to understand who they are, what they're selling, what they're trying to achieve before we even start doing a campaign for them uh, because the products are so wildly different. Yeah, and that was kind of a segue into the final question in this segment, which was around um, types of advertisers or types of client. Like I think in particular like business media, trade media, more specialised kind of um, uh, more, more boutique kind of media channels, the advertising target clients or the potential partners can be quite obvious. Um, mm. You know, in your case, like self-managed super fund and stuff like that, it's, it's like the, the the relevant advertisers are really glaringly obvious. I'm curious if you've had success or experience taking the Ausbiz audience proposition to a completely different category, like, um, you know, that, that high value, high net worth audience and how that might translate to like luxury brands or travel or different verticals is, is that something you've sort of dabbled in before it's something that we've looked at but it's it's a bit tricky with our model because we don't you know we don't do display we don't do pre-roll so that's sort of where that stuff would fit um you can't really do um for for an audience of our size it doesn't sort of work to go off and spend you know fifty thousand dollars making a, a branded content play for something in the luxury space you know we looked at it and it was just like and then again I come back to the audience first piece um you know our our audience comes and watches our stuff for a very specific reason um are they coming to us to find out about you know luxury cars or watches probably not you know um travel is an interesting one it's something I have looked a little bit at it would be more if there were you know I think deals potentially for our our users if there was a you know I don't know x percent off a a luxury cruise for Osby's subscribers or something that we could put in a newsletter that might work um, I think our our audience might appreciate stuff where they feel like they're getting value from being part of our community but just a you know, here's our newsletter today with here's what's happened in the markets and here's a guy talking about a fixed income fund and here's this and here's that. And, oh, um, you know, here's a pretty ad for a watch. I just think they'd be like, what? That's, you know, I I don't need that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, fair enough. So really it's, you know, it, it is, there there is, a, there is a, a specific and niche region that people come to us every day um, and, and our view is we just need to keep delivering that, you know, really highly valuable content to keep them coming back. Yeah, love it. I can't ask my sales manager that. Okay, final segment is the listener question because we too here at Media Sales Mastery are audience first. I just thought I'd jam that in because okay. <laughs> um, we certainly don't commercialise the podcast. But one of the things that we try to do is um, get a whole bunch of questions, usually via LinkedIn. And I do have to keep a few of them in the can until we have like a pseudo relevant topic. But I thought this one was sort of in the same, the same sort of lane. Um, so the question is, Got any tips on what good client prospecting looks like? I'm new to sales and have a very specialized podcast product. How do I increase my odds of succeeding in getting in touch with the right clients? So a bit to unpack there, but I, I think knowing what this um, this particular question is, is they've got a very specialized audience that they are targeting mm-hmm. um, via their podcast. Mm-hmm. And it's very much being about building the content strategy, building the audience, building the engagement. And now they're at a point of trying to commercialize or productize it um got any tips for how they may be able to approach that in terms of outreaching to the right kind of clients okay so i did tell you (laughs) 
right back at the beginning that I'm a journalist who has just <laughs> happened to fall into to sales. So um, mastery, I'm, I'm putting in quotes, but um, I look at a lot of what's going on at the moment in this space and I know, you know, there's a lot of ground to cover for everybody, um, but the constant sort of, you know, whacking people on LinkedIn with generic messaging and just sending, you know, sitting there sending emails all day, um, throwing stuff out into the ether and hoping that something comes back. Um, I'm not sure is is, is the most um, useful <laughs> way of doing things. Um, but also, like, this isn't a, you know, you're not going to be an overnight success in this. A lot of it is building networks. So, I make a point of going to um, way more events than I probably personally would like to, but you know, you will always in a in a situation like that at events. Like I, I don't think I've ever been to anything where I haven't come back and you know met someone or spoken to someone that hasn't you know proven useful to sort of growing that network and you know eventually monetizing that. But that's it doesn't it's not like you go you meet someone and they give you twenty grand the next day for for, for an ad campaign. So. Mm. Um, you know, you've just got to sort of get yourself out there. Um, again, it's it, it's understanding the the product. It's this, um, you know, I know that's solution-based selling and everybody says they do it, but it's really asking heaps of questions and doing a lot of listening um, before you even get to the here's what I'm selling because, you know, people want to feel that, that, that you're creating some value for them and that you understand what their issues are before you sort of come back to them. I also think that like in general, people are are pretty nice um, and, and pretty helpful. So I think the question was, you know, how do you, um, you know, how are you, how are you finding the right people within businesses? Um, again, if you build that network, generally if you if you've met someone and you've had a nice conversation with them they will be quite open to you know they might not be the the decision maker but they will be quite open to sort of putting you in touch with the right people um but again i just think the most important thing is you know understand their product understand their problem understand the industry you've got to read and consume you know lots of other media um it 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 takes time that's there's sorry, it's not a silver bullet. No, <laughs> no, no. But um, you know, the best the best salespeople, you know, are not just good at selling, you know, their product, but they actually understand the entire ecosystem um that that they're in. So, you know, I consume a lot of other financial media. Um and it's not like I'm doing it just to see who's advertising where and going after them. You know, it's it, it's bigger than that. It's understanding what's going on across the whole industry and you know, that also helps you shape and figure out what your place is within that sort of space. I was, yeah, it's funny. I was trying to, reflecting on this one too, and I was thinking the same thing. It's not, there's no silver bullet with this answer. It's a, it's a pretty broad question, but I did think the first step of it is like, you've got to have that kind of audience identity. Like what is it about your audience that makes it distinct Mm. and unique and valuable? And then it's kind of like, you know, thinking about maybe not thinking about everyone as your customer, but thinking about what one or two types of products and or services might this audience be relevant for, like almost trying to just kind of take what could be a very broad and complex thing and just bring it down to the simplest thing of how do I connect this audience with a relevant brand, mm. you know, where where it makes sense for both parties. 
Um, and to your point, I would actually say um, a, a very short-term tactical thing is have a look at where your what other media your audience are consuming. You know, mm-hmm. like what what other things are in their diet? Do they do they read particular digital publications? Do they watch particular programs? Um, try and have a think about what their media consumption habits are more broadly and then think about some of the brands that are trying to engage them across those channels um, as, a, as a bit of a takeaway too. Absolutely, yeah. Well, Kylie, thanks for your time. Um, I This draws us to a close, but I am definitely keen um, to just spend a bit of time at the, the back end of this, hearing a bit more about what's happening with Ausbiz in the financial year ahead. What's, uh, what's happening? What are the big initiatives you're driving? What's the area of focus at the moment? Uh, so more work both on that audience um, segmentation piece and how we can allow partners to kind of target niches within niches. I think that will be a really valuable solution. So um, we're doing some kind of work on our, our tech stack and our CRM to enable that to happen um, through automation. We've already implemented some AI into some of our workflows, um, which has just saved a huge amount of time, which has been great, but I, I don't think there's that much more on the AI front in the immediate future we need to do. Um, more work on, you know, just that leads piece and how we can connect advertisers to individual investors and, you know, having some really interesting conversations with other kind of investment platforms on how we could almost, you know, bring them together. So if, um, you know, if someone in our audience sees or hears from a an expert, you know, be it a fund manager or whatever, that, you know, there may be a way for them to actually um connect directly through our platform and potentially even invest all kind of within the same ecosystem. Oh, Obviously a pretty big piece of work. Um, and we are, you know, I say we are not a financial services business. So that is, you know, us working with other um, with other providers in that space who are, because I don't I don't have any, you know, plans on going into to, to that space really. Um, and then we also, you know, another interesting part of the business, um, which is not the the consumer facing part, um, is you know we've we've built this sort of video led content solution, um, which is super efficient and you know almost entirely cloud based. Um, so we're actually now starting to work with some big brands, both inside and outside of finance um, here and in in other international markets, on building similar solutions for them. Um, so that's not really an advertising thing, um, but it's a it, it's a technology product, um, which is interesting and fun. Sounds unreal. Well, congratulations on on the success of the business so far. I love independent media, and I love um, that you're doing something really different and unique in the Australian marketplace. So, thank you for spending time with us. I'll link your details in the show notes. Um, and at some point, Kylie would love to have you back on the podcast. But thanks for your insights and your contribution today. Great. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you.